good morning, everybody. Here we are. I knew you were here. How are we? Well, I have to ask, and I know it's routine and cliche, but here it goes. Are you ready for Christmas? Well, the truth is, somebody asked me yesterday, and I said, well, that, there comes a point where you stop getting ready and you just let it come. It's the way it is. Well, a couple things I want to mention to you. First of all, I want to remind all of us in our congregation and uh, that uh, in the foyer, uh, there is a tree, what we call the Christmas comfort tree. We held a service earlier this month um, for those that are grieving in our congregation. And I just want to remind you again on the eve of Christmas Eve um, that there are a number of people in our congregation that, are, uh, that, have, that have experienced loss and are going through grief. And I just want you to, today as we leave the service and tomorrow as we come again uh, for tomorrow night, uh, you'll see the tree. It's just right here on the other side of the wall. Just remember those that are grieving this Christmas season. And I want to just say, uh, first of all, um, I want a couple of things we need to celebrate. First of all, Han Su. I call him Han Solo because um, that's how I remembered his name. But Han Su has been working in Victoria, and Lois seems a whole lot happier today than she has been. But welcome home. It's good to see you again. And uh, Jeannie is here this morning. Uh, right there, and she is first Sunday back from uh, open heart surgery on November 15th, right? Welcome, you look great and fabulous. And John Resch, uh, this is at a broken neck uh, back in September, I had an accident, and today is the first Sunday that he's had his collar off. You know, the neck collar, okay? Be careful where you're going with that. And uh, so we just want to celebrate those things and thank God for all of his blessings. Do we not? Yes, 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 indeed. Absolutely. And uh, while you're doing that, let's stand together. And uh, we are looking at a text uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 19. But uh, we're going to get to there, but we're only going to look at one verse. And it's a very short verse, and this is what it says. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you for your love for us in Jesus Christ and how extravagant and overwhelmed we are at your grace, your mercy, your generosity in our lives. And so we ask today again for the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit to continue to be active amongst us and particularly in our lives today, for those of us in this auditorium and those that are watching online today, that you would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts to understand, and particularly over these next few days and this next week, that as we go out into our communities, into our neighborhoods, into our homes, as we are with extended family, help us by your Spirit to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves, and Lord, that we may be, that you by your spirit may help us to be witnesses. Lord, testimonies of your grace and of your mercy as disciples of Jesus Christ. We give you praise and we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as was mentioned in the uh, Advent calendar, <laughs> Pastor Kevin... The Advent calendar, the theme today is love, and that is the power of Christmas that we are looking at this morning is the power of love. Francis Schaeffer, in his book called The Mark of a Christian, wrote these words, Through the centuries, many men and women have displayed many different symbols to show that they are Christians. 
They have worn marks on the lapels of their coats, hung chains around their necks, even as special haircuts. Of course, he writes, there's nothing wrong with any of this if one feels that this is his or her calling. But there is a much better sign, a mark which has not been thought up just as a matter of expediency to use on some special occasion or some specific era. It is a universal mark that is to last through all the ages of the church till Jesus comes back. Love. What is it about love that there is so much that has been written, sung, and spoken about? Somebody said that the word love is one of the hardest working words in the English language. And I looked up love in dictionary.com and I found that there were 14 definitions of the noun love. 14 very variant forms of that word. Now we use the word love in many different ways. We use the word to say, you know, I would say I love coffee, I love potato chips. I love my spouse, I love my family, I love God, and I love the weather. Now, in each instance, of course, the word love carries its own meaning. It certainly does not mean the same thing and have the same degree of intensity as the love that I talk about when I say I love coffee or potato chips as compared to my love for my wife or my love for God. Now, before we get to our text this morning in 2 Corinthians 9, and as a way sort of of getting there, I want us to consider three dynamic words. And those three dynamic words are God is love. Now, almost everybody knows that they're from the Bible, but they're specifically from 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Someone once said this. Some phrases or statements are like batteries. If they get used too much, they begin to lose their power. And I think that the love of God, or God is love, that statement falls into this category. Yet, at the same time, there is still a lot of voltage in that thought. Someone said, God is love is a short sentence with a big thought. Then somebody else said, in this text, talking about John uh, chapter 1, verses, verse 4, uh, chapter, for, sorry, 1 John 4, chapter, um, verse 8 says, there occurs what is probably the greatest single statement about God in the entire Bible. Now, why would this statement, God is love, be the single greatest statement about God in the entire Bible? For this reason, love is the central attribute of the nature of God. His very essence and nature is love. It is not just part of his being. It is the central part of all that God is. Leon Morris said this, and there's a spelling error in this quote, God is love means more than God is loving. It means that love is the essence of his being. God did not create love. God did not say, like he did light, let there be love. No, love is not a created thing. Love is part and parcel of God's own being himself. 
It's his own property. It's his own affection. That one of the most unique aspects of the attribute of the triune God is love. And the fact that God is love sets God apart from all other deities, small d, and all other gods, small g, that people worship. And Mel Brunner a long time ago said, the message that God is love is something wholly new in the world. We perceive this if we try to apply this statement to the deities of various religions of the world. Brahma, Vishnu, Allah is love. All these combinations are absolutely wholly impossible. And when we consider the gods of the non-Christian religions, nowhere will you find a god whose main characteristic is love. And then there's this. That God is love does not contradict any other aspect or attribute of his character. God can be loving and holy, he can be loving and just, and he can be loving and sovereign. And to add to that, God is also wisdom and power and holiness and purity and justice and life and light and unity. But there's also this. No part of God or no act of God can be separated from any other attribute of God. Every other attribute of God is mitigated by his central attribute of love. Every aspect of God's character, his love, sorry, his wisdom, his justice, his mercy, his goodness, and get this, even God's wrath, God's judgment, and anger is ultimately an expression of his love. Did you get that? Let me repeat it. Every other aspect of God's character, his wisdom, his justice, his mercy, his goodness, even God's wrath, anger, and judgment is, an ultimate exp- is ultimately an expression of God's love. And we might add to that that the God of the Bible is not an egotistical, self-absorbed deity who is looking at himself and worshiping himself in the mirror of eternity, past, or future. But rather, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit exist in loving communal life with one another, speaking to one another, working together, giving and receiving and delighting in each other for all of eternity. And that brings us to this. We have often heard the expression that love is a verb. God is love. Is God's desire to give the best, to help and to share regardless of the cost. But there's also this, love, to be a verb, must give. For love, giving is a compulsion. 
God is love is more than his desire to give. God is love means God is active and actively giving. He is active in love and actively giving. So God is love is first of all God's nature. And secondly, his love is a love that surprises. Now, one of the distinguishing marks of the love of God is that it always comes to us as a surprise, or at least it should. Now, I know that most of us in this room today, and many of us that are watching online, that we are so familiar with the message of Christmas that, like I said a moment ago, that the message of Christmas are like batteries and that they have been used so much that they've almost lost their power. But God's love is wrapped up in a human person, in a human being, Jesus Christ. And when and here, when we consider the message of Christmas, and this is the message of Christmas, we are opened up to a whole new dimension of love. That the ultimate unique expression and demonstration of God's love is Jesus Christ. And then there's this. It's crazy. And it is amazing that the path of God's choosing so often seems to involve some element of risk that is to be undertaken or some measure of trouble that we have to deal with or some measure of discomfort to experience or some difficulty that has to be resolved. Now take Mary, for example. Mary today is hailed as a blessed virgin. She is hailed as a great woman. But I venture to guess that she may have not been back then. I would even suggest that while today we call her the Blessed Virgin and that we sort of venerate her as the Virgin Mary, that there are those at that time that would have called her something other. But is it not interesting how in the plan of God that in order to get from there to here or here to there, whichever way it's going, means risk of rejection. It means the pain of uncertainty. And it also can involve some other unpleasantness like criticism. But God works in unusual circumstances when he wants to bring about his desired end. And we have made this observation before that trouble is one of his friends. And the result comes by way of some measure of suffering and difficulty and pain. Teresa of Avila, uh, who was a nun, was returning to her convent in the midst of this intense rainstorm. And uh, she happened to slip and fell down this bank and fell face first into the mud. And in frustration and unimpressed, she called it to God and said, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you just have so few of them. Did you know, did you know 
that many of the people that we consider outstanding have had to overcome significant problems in their lives. A study of 300 highly successful people, and in that group were people like Helen Keller, Winston Churchill, and Albert Schweitzer. That in this study of 300 people, that one-fourth of them, one-quarter, had physical impairments such as blindness, deafness, and some physical, dis- physical disability of some sort. Three-quarters of the 300, three-quarters of the 300, of the 300 had social or environmental impairments. Either they were born into poverty or came from broken homes, or they came from intensely disturbing situations. Now back to our point. When you and I, when we step into the path God chooses for us, do not be surprised if when our path involves some measure of risk, of trouble, of uncertainty or frustration or difficulty. So, that God would choose the path that he did with Mary and Joseph, a womb and a baby, is both a love that surprises and at the same time a love that does not surprise. And throughout the centuries... And even for us in this room today, love that surprises has surprised a lot of us. But what kind of love is this love that surprises? What kind of love is this love that surprises? Well, that brings us to our text where Paul talks about God's inexpressible gift. Now, to do right by the biblical text, we have to set our text in context. And so, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 15 comes, this statement about God's inexpressible gift, comes at the end of a statement that talks about giving and the, and the heading that it's under, talks about the cheerful giver. Now, the next question is this. Who is the cheerful giver? Now, relax. I'm not going to ask you for anything. But before we get into it, I want to say this. That this text is talking about giving. But it's not just giving. But giving that is rooted in God's generous giving. Exemplified in Jesus. So I think we may be surprised as we go through this text that we often use to get people to give who the cheerful giver might be. Now, in I'm going to give you seven points in one minute. Seven points in one minute that sort of gives us the context of our text. 
In nine chapter, chapter 9, verse 6, it talks about the universal principle of sowing and reaping. In 9.7, it talks about the benefits of being a cheerful giver, that God loves us, loves him or her, whoever it is. In 9.8, it talks about the superlative nature, the superlative nature of God's giving. Verse 8 says, and God is able to make all grace, all sufficiency, all things, all times, every good work. Superlative. And 9 Verse 9 and 10 talks about the fact that God is our inexhaustible supply. And then in 9-11 it says that we are blessed to be a blessing. Or we are blessed in order to bless. And this, of course, 9-12 tells us that our giving evokes gratitude to God. Gratitude of ourselves and of others. And then the last part, 13 and 14 Our giving is the evidence of God's grace on us. Our giving is the evidence of God's grace in us and to us. And then Paul drops in this one-sentence statement. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That underneath all of this, in 9, 6 to 12, Bearing it up is the inexpressible, the unspeakable, the indescribable gift of God. Jesus Christ. Now, how do we begin to describe someone or something that is unspeakable, that is inexpressible, that is indescribable? And the surprise of the incarnation has given us plenty of questions to think about and to ask. How can God descend into the pool of humanity and yet not be contaminated? How can God remain God and yet take on human form? Or, How is it possible that Jesus Christ is 100% God and 100% human simultaneously without any overlap? But the bigger question is this. The biggest question is why? Why? A long time ago, John McDuff wrote this. And you'll know the language is old by some of the phraseology. Macduff wrote, The only real mystery of the Bible is the mystery of love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What? For a lost and ruined world, the prince of life? should leave his throne of glory, travel down to the valley of tears, and expire by an ignominious death on the bitter tree. Love unutterable, he writes. Love unspeakable. Reflection, he says, of the skeptic of a bygone age may have formed at times the musing of better minds. This is far too great. 
It is far too good to be true. Infinite majesty. Compassionating infinite weakness. The great son of heaven, the fountain of uncreated light, undergoing an eclipse of darkness and blood for the sake of a candle that glimmered in nothingness in comparison with his beams. It's a pretty good description. But we still haven't answered the question why. This is the mystery of mercy. This is the miracle of grace that God chose to love a race of rebels and prodigals. And here are three more dynamic words. I love you. Christmas. The incarnation of God in Jesus Christ as a human person, as a human being, is the unique and the ultimate demonstration of God's love. Now put your seatbelt on. Because Augustine said this. God's love, God loves you as if you were the only one to love. Pause there. God loves you as if you were the only one to love. Now think about that. That God loves me as if I were the only one to love. Say that in your mind. God loves me as if I were the only one to love. Isn't that profound? There's a children's book called Awful Abigail and Why She Changed. Reminds me of this sort of love. Abigail is the innkeeper's daughter. And she has earned the name Awful Abigail because she has a way of getting into everyone's hair. And so one night she is sent to her room again where she watches Mary and Joseph arrive and inquire if there is a place for them in her father's inn. Once everyone is in bed, Abigail follows a faint light that leads her to the stable. She opens the door and she sees Jesus. And the story ends with this wonderful line. Somehow she knew a dream had come true. And someone who loved her had found her. Someone wrote, Everything God has done and will do from eternity past to eternity future overflows with love. The performance was going smoothly until suddenly we noticed her. A 
small, quiet girl in the front row holding up the letter M upside down. Totally unaware that her letter M appeared as a W. The audience of first graders to sixth graders snickered at this little one's mistake. But she had no idea that they were laughing at her, so she stood proud holding her W up high. And although many of the teachers tried to sort of shush the children and some of the adults, the laughter continued until the last letter was raised. And then we all saw it together. A hush came over the audience and eyes began to widen. And in that instance, we understood the reason we were there, why we celebrate the holiday in the first place, why even in the chaos and the busyness, there was a purpose for our festivities. For when the last letter was held high, the message read loud and clear. Christ was love. And he still is. Julian of Norwich said, God loves and enjoys us. The divine will wants us to love and enjoy God in return and rest in this strength and all shall be well.